0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We will start once again in Philippians 1, although we won't spend a lot of time there. We have uh, launched out of Philippians 1. And before we move on to the next paragraph, I want to do a topical study. And so we started this on Wednesday on uh, calls to the ministry. And uh, this is something that we observed in Philippians chapter one, where Paul's imprisonment uh, became uh, an event. It became a uh, like a watershed moment in the life of a congregation. So, you know, what would happen here, for example, if I got arrested and thrown in prison, and and you know, uh, what what does the what does the flock do, and uh, who steps up, and who who gets called, and who gets all excited about becoming a Bible teacher and proclaiming Christ and all these things, and. And so uh, this is what we're told is is what happened. That um, most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And so Paul's imprisonment became a goad. It became a, a, a persuasion. And the verb patho is to persuade. And so a whole bunch of the believers there, I believe it was in Ephesus, I don't think it was in Rome, but all of the believers there, wherever that location was, they got motivated to get busy. That, you know, uh, hey, Paul's out of action right now, let's get busy with it. And, um, well, I think uh, something similar can happen in, in this ministry and other ministries and at different times. Different trigger events can take place, maybe in the course of a nation uh, in, in politics or in uh, natural natural disasters or any number of things uh, can, can just wake up believers. And uh, I tell you, I think we need it. <laughs> I think our nation needs believers to wake up and get busy about their faith and serving the Lord. So uh, that's why I want to take the time to do this study. All right? So before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask the Father to bless our time and uh, to lead us in the truth. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the blessings we have to assemble together for the day and age in which we live, Father, where uh, there is so much provision in uh, Bible study material and software and in, uh, even in uh, the different study tools that are available for Greek and Hebrew and, and everything imaginable uh, for the study of the Scriptures. So, Father, we want to redeem uh, these blessings. We want to use them for the glory of Jesus Christ and we want to thank you for equipping us tonight, that which is pleasing in your sight, I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Before we do return to the study, though, if the microphone's ready to go, we can uh, take a couple of questions. I know we didn't; uh, we left people wanting last week. That uh, didn't quite get to every question that was available. So, and was there somebody I promised to have the first question tonight? I don't want to. I don't want to break that promise if there was somebody that's been waiting a whole week. All right. Maybe not. Okay. Then, Bill, you get our first question. As long as it's not about Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm okay. was Now, on the topic of Sodom and Gomorrah, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, Malachi 3.11, uh-huh. it reads, Then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, so forth and so on. Um, the devourer, who is or what is that? I think it's an angelic being. I think it's a reference to uh, angelic judgment. Uh, maybe not a particular kind of angel, or a, uh, but a role that's been assigned to, uh, to that angel, uh, either elect or fallen, whoever's been assigned to do that. And uh, I think I included that in our vocabulary in the angelology study. I don't recall now. I, th- I think I did. With the term rebuke, mm-hmm. can we consider or does that have any bearing on it being a fallen? I think it makes it more likely to be a fallen angel, but believers get rebuked all the time, and elect angels could be rebuked all the time. And a, and a rebuke is not always a corrective thing. It it just could simply be a, be a halt. You know, stop what you're doing now. All right. Okay, thank you. All right, other questions tonight. What was Noah's wife's name? That's my question. Mrs. Noah. Yeah, that's all I can figure out. <laughs> All right, any other questions? We've had a couple of heavy weeks, and we might have a light week tonight, all right, nothing going once, going twice, speak now or forever, hold your peace no oh for a week, okay, speak now or for one week hold your hold your peace see i don't uh I don't include that line in any wedding I preach, I never include that line about you know if there's anyone here that has any reason or any cause why you know. They should not be married. Then speak now or forever hold. I don't even use that. That's I have no interest in anything like that in any wedding that I that I preach. So, <laughs> all right. Well, then let's go to uh, our uh, study. Bring back up where we left off on Sunday. Thank you for running the microphone. And. Um, pick up on our development where we were. This is a study on the call to the ministry and, and it's a very practical study I think in a lot of ways and things, particularly since we have believers here that uh, have already been training their gift or are starting to train their gift and they already have a sense for what that ministry might be. And so I guess uh, we'll, we'll start with First uh, Corinthians 12 and once again we'll look at verse 4, verse 5 and verse 6. It's very easy to see, it's very easy to understand and, uh, and it's something that you can take and you can teach to, uh, to your kids or your neighbor, or your enemy, whoever you want to teach on this. Um, but it's, it's just right there in verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. You can put your finger on it. You can see it. Uh, that there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. And we get that. Mine is the gift of pastor-teacher. Doug has the gift of evangelism. Robert has the gift of encouragement. We've got a variety of gifts. There's 11 of them in the church age. In the, in the permanent stage of the church, okay? There were more in the early church, there were nine temporary gifts like apostle and prophet and healing and things like that. But, uh, but those nine have now ceased and we have 11 that remain for the ongoing uh, circumstances of the, of the church dispensation. And so of those 11 gifts, as we have them here in this assembly, uh, it's good that we have that kind of variety and that kind of uh, blessing. Beyond the gifts, though, come the ministries, there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord and so you might have five different pastors that could be in five different ministries they all have the pastor teacher gift, but they could the Lord will place those gifted believers into different ministry fields and so mine for example is a, you know the pulpit ministry of a domestic local church i'm a I'm an American pastor of an American church, but a lot of pastors are shipped off overseas they become missionaries in other places Jim Myers has the same gift I do but his ministry field is Kiev Ukraine see and so that's a different ministry field or you might be a jail chaplain or a hospital chaplain or there's any number of things that a pastor teacher can can be placed into see maybe an internet ministry or grace notes or something of that nature where a gifted pastor teacher would be very fruitful in a ministry field of of any anything you might imagine And it's interesting too that when we are looking at this and we're looking at gifts and we're looking at ministries, all right, we have catalogs, we have listings of gifts pastor, teacher, and evangelist, and giving, and helps, and teacher, and encourager, and leadership, and all these gifts, right? 11 of them. But when it comes to ministries, there is no catalogue of ministries there is no there is no passage that says now the ministries are and and gives you know gives a listing of them because the ministries are as varied as as the lord's imagination or your imagination is to open a field and to to present before you an open door for a fruitful ministry and so it could be anything from anything that you that you can imagine guitar room uh you know uh, evangelism or uh, scripture memory melodies or, or hospital uh, or camps, Christian camps, or uh, I mean just anything imaginable that has already been done or has never been done before. And yet uh, the idea opens up and you know what, I want to pursue that as a minister. I think, I think that would be a fruitful field. And uh, so we can appreciate the varieties there. And then there are varieties of effects. So verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6. In verse 4 we have the gifts, in verse 5 we have the ministries, and in verse 6 we have the effects, the actual workings, the things that are done. See, And so uh, and, and those, are, those are the Father's business because God's the one, the Father's the one that's at work. He's at work in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So uh, don't get too worked up about the results, especially if you think you're not seeing any results yet. Um, results are His business, not ours. We, we just have to stay faithful. And uh, the results may very well be eternal anyway. So why are you expecting to see tangible results in time? Uh, those that won't always be visible to our perception. All right. And so there it is, four, five, and six. And this is what we were uh, showing in the introduction. We gave all this on Sunday. Roman number one was introduction, using Philippians one as our starting text because that's where we've been. Uh, believers enter the ministry for right reasons and for wrong reasons. Okay. There was a crowd here in, in Ephesus and they, were, they got involved in ministry just to upset the Apostle Paul. <laughs> you know, They thought they were going to cause him distress. And they were motivated by envy and strife, two mental attitude sins. So we know that they are, they are carnal as, as the day is long. And, and yet they're in the ministry. How does that work? Okay. Well, there it is. For right reasons and for wrong reasons. The Apostle Paul at the end of the day has said, well, at least they're preaching Christ. He says, "I can rejoice in that." They're doing it for all the wrong reasons, but Christ is so being preached. So that's that's a good thing. Uh, unbelievers enter the ministry. Before I get to that, though, there were some sub points there. They're persuaded by Christ. They're emboldened by Christ, and yet they retain their own motivations. And I spent a lot of time stressing that. So if you weren't here Sunday morning, you didn't you weren't a part of that nine thirty hour. I would encourage you to go get that MP three off the website and. Uh, and because uh, we spent a lot of time on that. Persuaded by Christ, emboldened by Christ, all of them. But each one of them kept their own individual motivation and that is uh, that's significant. I think that shows the tandem of how God works in and through us. That God doesn't just suppress our thinking or suppress our personality or, or take over a robotic control whereby we're not aware of what's happening. No, He uses us and we retain our own motivations in, uh, in all of this. All right. Secondly, the unbelievers, they'll enter the ministry always for the wrong reasons. I don't know if that shocks you that there's unbelievers in the ministry. Um, there are a lot of unbelievers in ministry, uh, not only as pastors of churches, uh, but as seminary professors, as authors. Uh, it, it, I was bamboozled. I mean, I was absolutely stunned when I was a beginning seminary student and I was recommended to certain authors for Greek and for Hebrew and for geography studies and other things. But I was warned, you know. By the way, most of these guys uh, are unbelievers. Like what? You know, why do they get involved in this anyway if they're not even saved? How does that work? And so you learn how to be discerning in what you read to, to glean the the information that you need without getting caught up in the in the uh, the unbelief or the the prejudices and the the other things, the assumptions that, uh, that they put into all their writings. So. Uh, Matthew 7, this is the Lord, Lord crowd that's demanding, uh, you know, uh, to, to go to heaven because they've done so much for Jesus. And Jesus says, Depart from me, I never knew you. All right? And so that's, uh, that's a significant thing as well. And I think we're seeing it. I think our generation is seeing it more than ever. It's always been the case. We've got 2,000 years of church history. I think this has been a pattern ever since the beginning. Yet, it's now gotten so emboldened, you know. Um, just a generation ago, would we have seen uh, uh, you know, the women pastors we're seeing now? Would we have seen the, the militant lesbians that we're seeing now that are demanding that we ignore all kinds of scriptures uh, so that they can be pastors? Why, why do they want to be pastors? Uh, why, why are certain seminaries now 60% homosexual in their, in their student body population? Why is that? See. Uh, what is driving them into pulpits, into churches? What's driving them into schools? Why are they filling the educational positions? And why? Well, it's their agenda. It's what they're doing, and they're pushing it hard. And we, uh, we just can't ignore that. So uh, here's our text we were just looking at, 1 Corinthians 12. This is point C, and the final point in the introduction. In the trinity of gifts, ministries, and effects, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who leads us in our ministry pursuits. And so it really kind of is that middle ground in between the gift study and the effect study that once you kind of got a handle on what your gift might be, then you start to train and prepare that gift, and then you start to exercise that gift. And as you start to exercise that gift in a variety of different ministry capacities uh it should be very clear first of all that okay that's not what you are let's try something else or (laughs) yeah wow that is what you are and it's shocking exactly how powerful it is beyond anything you could have imagined so um, getting uh involved in ministry pursuits is uh, is a neat way to reconfirm what uh what you think your gift might be um and so it's, uh, but it's not the Holy Spirit that opens ministries. It's Jesus Christ who opens ministries. The Holy Spirit gives you your gift and empowers your gift, but Jesus Christ is the one that opens ministries, that opens those doors, that walks with you, that leads you, and provides the leadership in every ministry pursuit. If you are engaged in a ministry pursuit, then you are uh, walking with the Lord. That's what it's about walking with the Lord. Okay? And so. There is that. And then, you go, and then when you're using your gift, pursuing a ministry, man, just watch. Watch what the Father does because the effects, the effects start happening. The Father is at work in you to willing to do of His good pleasure and you start to see the effects take place. And so uh, different things there. Anyway, that's a whole study on gifts, ministries, and effects. We've taught that before and I'm sure we'll teach it again. Now in the development, I've got really three main developments starting with A, the principles of ministry calling. And I've got five of them. We covered one on Sunday before we ran out of time, and that's this, that uh, we don't call ourselves, all right? No one takes the honor unto himself. And so let's turn to Hebrews 5, and uh, we'll pick up our study here. I don't mind rereading Hebrews 5. It's uh, always worthwhile, and in particular... Um, in talking about Christ, in talking about any high priest, about Christ specifically, um, verse 4 says, "...no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was." And so if God calls you into ministry, that's not something you select for yourselves, uh, it is something that God will do. He will consider you faithful, he will place you into service. Uh, or not, that's his good pleasure. He he may have reasons why he's not for a season or for a time. So no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ, in verse 5, did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. uh, Just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so uh, this is the Father's good pleasure to assign these roles to Jesus Christ, to assign these roles to His Son. And uh, it's not that He demanded it, it's not that He took it to Himself or felt that He was worthy or insisted upon it, and it really is the opposite of Satan. Satan had the self-promotion thing going all over the place with the five-eye wills that you can read about in Isaiah 14. He was absolutely all about making Himself. Uh, above the stars of God and elevating His throne and taking a seat He wasn't entitled to and subjecting other angels under His dominion, alright? And it's interesting uh, why does that happen? What, what is it about a twisted sat- satanic fallen mind that not only wants to lift up yourself but in the process tearing somebody else down if you have to, okay? Um, why? <laughs> you know? That's not biblical Christianity, Biblical Christianity is humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt you at the proper time. And in the process of that, as you humble yourself, you're actually busy involved in edifying others. Building them up in the faith, strengthening them, building them up, encouraging them, serving them, regarding one another as more important than yourself. And so it's amazing how God works in this way that when you busy yourself serving others and blessing them and edifying them, that uh, that's exactly the kind of faithfulness the Lord's looking for when He's ready to open a new ministry field and open a door and select somebody now to, to go through that door. See, And so we have those examples as well. We don't call ourselves, even as we don't prepare our own works beforehand, Ephesians 2.10, or set our own race before ourselves. We don't pick out our own race. See, that's he- As long as I'm in Hebrews, we can grab that, Hebrews 12.1 we should be familiar with this, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. You know, there's a lot of gifted believers out there, but they're not in ministry today. They're not running their race today because they're entangled. Honestly, they're entangled. And it may not even be a sin issue. The first thing mentioned there, the encumbrances, are not necessarily sins. Because they're listed first and then the sin is, is mentioned. So lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And I think that a lot of that is, is what Jesus warned about when He talked about the thorny ground, remember that? And uh, it chokes out fruitfulness, the worries of this world chokes out the fruitfulness. I think that's very much uh, in parallel to what we're looking at here. Those encumbrances and the entanglements, and that's going to trip you up. It's going to keep you from pursuing a ministry. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It doesn't say the race you pick out for yourself, okay? He didn't ask you. Uh, and besides, when he planned all this before the foundation of the world, you weren't around to ask anyway, right? So, uh, you know, yeah. What do I want to do in ministry? Well, you know, I can think of a nice mission field on Waikiki Beach somewhere or maybe a, a nice, uh, you know, maybe a ballpark Bible church. How would that work? And we could... Uh, Maybe get a suite, uh, a nice office suite at the ballpark at Arlington, and, and you know uh, you have church services there, and then you watch ball games, and, and uh, all right. So I'm dreaming, but uh, no, I'm kind of I'm goofing, is what I'm doing. This is, uh, but see, people will do this; they will do this. Okay, there's a gospel song out there called "Only One Condition." And it's just a sarcastic, hilarious, humorous song, except it's not so funny when you realize there's people that do that. right? They're going to serve you, Lord, but only on one condition. And this is what they want to do. And they're, they're very devoted, Lord, and they're very, you know, the, 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 Lord, you're blessed to have a guy like me serving you. But, um, and they say that in the song, right? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you, Lord, but here's my one condition. And, and, and it's, it's, it just betrays how selfish the person is. Right? Yeah, well, I'll go the extra mile as long as it's, you know. Anyway, we don't set our own race before us. We do not set our own race before us. He sets it before us. And uh, and thank God that He does, okay? Because uh, honestly, we would pick these easy things that would give no glory to Jesus. None at all. Likewise, Ephesians 2.10. Um, we are saved unto good works prepared beforehand that we should, might, maybe, would walk in them. Right? Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship. His workmanship. And he knows what he's doing. He's so smart at what he's doing. Okay? He doesn't create a tool and then create it for the wrong purpose. Right? Whether it's a hammer or or a saw or whatever. Screwdriver. Okay? There's different tools and they're designed for different things. And God's not a moron. So, when he creates us, he creates us for what he intends for us to do. See? And he's not going to create us as as something that shouldn't be used as a hammer and then expect us to be used as a hammer. Okay? Because that's what hammers are for. Right? All right. So, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. That's before the foundation of the world, folks. It's His eternal purpose that He's accomplishing in Christ. And we, uh, we have to be clear on that. So that's our first principle, alright? Here's our second principle. Ministry callings may entail a departure from temporal work or not. Ministry callings may require a bivocational testing. Are you going to be a pastor if you're not getting paid for it? Uh, are you willing to serve the Lord if you're still working full-time and you have to support yourself and you have to support your family? We may be called to do that. So, Matthew 4.21. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 21. Remember, um, and there's a pattern for this, even before the church age. The, the pattern is in the Old Testament, the pattern is in Israel. That uh, the tribe of Levi was set apart. They did not have a land grant. They did not have normal uh, career pursuits. That they were the servants in the tabernacle. That they were uh, the priestly tribe that was uh, that came alongside the other twelve tribes to assist in their uh, offerings and in their worship and in their uh, feast uh, observances and all that they did. And uh, so the idea of them getting set aside and because they're not working and they're not uh, you know farming and hoeing and raising animals and whatever. Uh you can get hungry real quick if you're not working and so the the point is, what do you think happened to all those sheep and goats and bulls and rams and all the animals that they kept butchering, all right, in the in the animal sacrificial system? Well, a lot of them, most of them, uh the, the priests were eating. <laughs> okay? You get done butchering that animal, you get done throwing it up on the altar and and you're cooking meat right there. That's 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 the barbecue on the on the grill, right? And so other than the whole burnt offering where the entire thing went up unto the Lord, uh, most of the offerings, uh, there was there was the choice meat uh, portions that were left over. And then that became food for the priests and the Levites, and that's how they ate. The the grain offerings, the wave offerings, the bread offerings, the the uh, drink offerings, and all of that. And uh, the worshipers would bring all this stuff, and then they would sit down and eat with the priests, with the Levites, fellowship over doctrine. They would learn the Word of God while they're eating, okay? Anyway, that's a pattern, and that pattern is brought across into the church age, whereby uh, God will set apart those who uh, preach the gospel to earn their living by the gospel, and that is that there are some that are set apart to minister the Word of God and be supported by those that, uh, that uh, they're ministering to. So in Matthew 4.21, uh, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. Verse 18 says, "...He saw two brothers, Simon who was called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men." And so immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And so they're leaving their vocation, they're leaving their business. And by the way, they're not, they're not leaving to become apostles right away, they're, they're leaving to become students, to become disciples. See, and we don't do that for the most part. I want to do that. Jim Myers does that in Ukraine. Okay, uh, It's not like, hey, we're, we're taking you out of the workforce so that you can pastor this church. Nowadays it seems that uh, once you work your way through school and you go through seminary and you buy your library and you buy your books and you get your Greek and Hebrew and all that, then uh, now that you're ordained and a pastor, okay, now, now we'll pay you and, and you, can, you can pastor this church. But this pattern says, no, we're going to train the students. We're going to support the students. They're going to be full-time on salary, on a stipend as, as they're a part of Jesus' ministry to become disciples. And I like that. That's, and Jim Myers is doing that same model in Ukraine. Every student that goes to that Bible college, they're not allowed to work because they're expected to be full-time students and serving in the local church and they're not, they don't have time to work because they have all that homework that, that gets piled on them. And uh, and you can study a lot more and a lot faster and get a lot more done when you're not paying the bills and paying the rent and putting beans on the table and, and all that stuff. Alright. Verse 21 "...and going on from there he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee, with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them and immediately they left the boat and the father and uh, followed him." So uh, that's the pattern there. And Mark 120 is parallel, and uh, we got principles there. In Mark uh, we find out that there's a partnership, and I think Luke also uses the term for partnership uh, with Zebedee. Um, so Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net for they were fishermen. Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Going on a little further he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were also in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. So they have uh, employees on, uh, on payroll here. And uh, went their way to follow him. And I guess it's in the Luke record that we have the partnership that's mentioned. Zebedee and Peter were the partners. And, uh, and so it appears that Andrew's a bit younger than Peter and that James and John of course were sons of Zebedee So they're younger of all. I think Peter was older than we usually think of him as a disciple of Jesus Christ, because he's a uh, business partner with Zebedee there. But anyway. And so there you have it. Are you willing to give up your work? And that's tough, because a lot of men like their work. A lot of men like their jobs. In fact, this world is kind of crafted in that direction. A lot of men find their identity in their jobs. And uh, the idea of leaving, well wait a minute, I've been successful in this. I've got got some esteem in this. I'm, I'm, I'm in high regard uh, among my peers and in the community and, and there's uh, respect that goes with this and this achievement and, and you want me to walk away from all that? That becomes a test. Okay, um, My buddy Stan Newton, he faced that big time because he was a Naval Academy, Annapolis graduate, and, uh, uh, and then of course Dallas Seminary and all the finest education imaginable. And uh, some folks can express some disappointment that, oh, you're going to be a pastor? You could have been so much more. See, And again, depending on if you're looking at it spiritually, you're looking at it the way the world looks at it, there can be disappointments in, uh, in those things. Or, also, a ministry calling may not require a departure from temporal work. He may keep you in that, uh, and depending on the ministry, of course, uh, may keep you in that field of service. And maybe through that employment, it opens up even more doors of ministry, depending because you know the pulpit ministry of a local church is not the only ministry we're talking about here in these pursuits, okay? Acts eighteen verses three and five. and this is Paul the tent maker. This is the quintessential tent making passage because it's literally the tent making passage of the uh, the apostle Paul here. And uh, so we read, Acts 18.1, after these things he left Athens and went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And this is something we know about through history. Josephus writes about this, the Roman sources write about this, the expulsion of all the Jews out of Rome. And uh, this is also helpful for us to give a a sequence and a chronology for the book of Acts and for for Paul's uh, travels. Um, so he came to them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they were working. For by trade, they were tent makers. And so this is what they did. And in, this was tradition of course, every Jewish father would train his child in the family trade. And so you know, undoubtedly Paul's parents, even though he was a Pharisee and the son of Pharisees, they still had trades that they were pursuing and, and uh, full-time employment that they pursued in that. And so, uh, what a coincidence, you know? You come, to, you come to a city like Corinth and you just happen to run into a Jew and he just happens to be a tent maker by trade, and, you know, wow. You know? Um, I'm, I'm tongue-in-cheek, of course. It's, it's only coincidence if you don't understand the plan of God and His sovereignty over directing everything. Uh, this is no accident. Priscilla and Aquila will become the closest friends Paul will ever have. I mean, this is going to be powerful for him for the rest of his life. And um, the fact that, that they were able to do this is just grace upon grace. So we call it tent making. all right. And, and we all have different things that we do for tent making. I worked in the jail for eight years. And uh, Todd Kennedy is a, a vet. He has a, a veterinarian ambulance even in a mobile vet practice in Spokane, Washington. And other pastors do other things okay, for their tent making. But it's always called tent making, even though um, none of us actually make tents. Um, mm-hmm. That's just what we call it, okay? In, uh, because of this verse right here. And that's what Paul had to do until. Notice. So he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word. Okay, So it's a complete devotion. And when you don't have to work in secular pursuits, then you can have a complete devotion to the Word. Solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now, this verse doesn't tell us, we could guess or read between the lines. We know from other passages they brought some funds with them from Philippi. That Philippi sent funds to Thessalonica where Timothy was and Timothy and Silas brought all those funds with them to Corinth and with that influx of, of uh, cash, of uh, dollars, or not dollars, denari- denarius, denarii, alright, they had all the, the money they needed and Paul could Say goodbye to the, to the tent making. And, uh, and that's the blessing there. All right? So, uh, and some have the bivocational testing. Pastor Cliff, we're still praying for Pastor Cliff. To this day, he still works what he works there at Ultra Electronics. Okay? And we don't talk about it because it's saving the world. Okay? But if you've ever, ever seen True Lies, that was based on Pastor Cliff. And he, uh, he acts like a computer nerd and he dances the tango. And then he goes out and kills all the bad guys and saves the world. So. All right, probably not, but that's still my joke. Okay? Um, bivocational testing. All right? Bivocational testing. We've got these lists down here. We're praying for pastors and churches around the country. And how many churches? All right? How many churches have the, the capacity to set their pastor apart like that? All right? Out of the 135 that we pray for or whatever, what, what's the ratio? It's pretty small. We live, in, we live in difficult days. That's the conflict we're in. All right. In most cases uh, the pastor's working or his wife's working or they're both working or there's other income coming in. Ralph always lived off the farm income from the family farm there that his son-in-laws were working and different things there. There'd be some, some revenue generated that way. Other things, a military retirement. That's why retired military guys are so popular because they get to draw the military pension, and the, the deacons are, can breathe easier about you know not paying them or whatever. And so we have this here. So we pray for them. Absolutely, we pray for them and uh, ask uh, because when that door does open, I tell you, it is a grace upon grace, blessing more than anything else. And this church learned that in 1999. When uh, uh, the treasurer came to me and said, what do we have to pay you to get you out of the jail? To get you uh, away from the sheriff's department and to get you full time here in the church? And that was such a marvelous question. <laughs> I, I just smiled I said, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but it's smaller than we think, <laughs> okay? It's just it's the good kind of question that we can pray about and, and trust in the Lord and see the Lord honors that. He honors His Word and He honors faithful deacons that make the Word of God the number one priority. And, uh, and I appreciate that as well. Alright, so that's, that's a principle of ministry calling. And you need to have that in mind, uh, particularly if, if there's a, a, a career that you don't want to leave um, you then just have to ask yourself, well wait a minute, you know, do you love me more than these? Uh, when, when Jesus asked Peter because you know, Peter went back to his fishing business after the resurrection and Jesus had to walk along the beach and say, do you love me Peter? Do you love me more than these? And uh, that becomes a test sometimes for uh, for ministry pursuits. All right. Uh, ministry callings may entail a geographic relocation, and that uh, kind of goes along with the other, but not always. They're not always connected. Sometimes they're separated. But um, and even beyond ministry, sometimes. Just living life requires a geographic relocation. Career advancement requires a geographic... you know. Uh, some people pass on jobs because it means a move and they don't want to move for whatever reason, okay? And uh, you can do that for right reasons or do that for wrong reasons or what have you, but um, ministry is the same way. Say, yes, Lord, I want to serve you, I want to serve you, I want to serve you. And well, your church is going to be in Texas. Oh, never mind. Okay. <laughs> you got anything in Washington or someplace... Texas, really? Okay. Hmm. And so there you you go. Acts 13.2. Let's look at this. Acts 13.2. And this is a a good illustration also of what I was talking about earlier where um, you're not just sitting around doing nothing. You're serving. You're humble. You're blessing others. You're edifying others. And in the process of edifying others and not promoting yourself is when the Lord promotes you. Because if He doesn't promote you, you're not promoted. And if you self-promote, you're definitely not promoted. Self-promotion, I think Jesus automatically just uh, rejects that out of hand and says, no, no, here's a self-promoter, He's not ready. And uh, and there's that. Alright, so Acts 13.1, they were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. And they've got, an. All, you talk about an all-star lineup. Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, so that's our teaching staff right there. You imagine what it was like, day after day, night after night, all the teaching and all the blessings. Okay, and uh, and, and we have something similar here with with our teachers and our elders and our students and just an abundance of blessings and, and different things. Okay, and that's a good thing. That means uh, you know we're not calling around and trying to outsource uh, some pulpit supply. If, the pastors out of town or something's happening you know we've got we got students and others that are just crawling over each other desperate for the pulpit time and so you know it's it's a blessing in that regard and then while they were ministering to the lord and fasting did i read that right okay yeah i did it does not say while they were sitting around doing nothing and grumbling about why they weren't in the ministry yet no they were in the ministry already Just in the capacity of where they were and how God is blessing them where they are. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And that's not a calling to stay in Antioch. Okay, They're going to have a geographic relocation. They're going to engage in a missionary journey. And so when they then when they had fasted and prayed, well, what's there to pray about? He told us what to do. Why do we got to pray about it? The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul to uh, Saul for the work to which I have called them. Well, then, fine. Let's go do it. Why do I have to pray about it if he's already told me what to do? No, they're praying about it. And they're praying about it together. And they're seeing it as a corporate function. So when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, uh-huh. you mean we have to identify with them? We are part of what they're doing. We are partakers of their ministry. They're the ones that are going, but we're the ones that are staying. And all of us are together in this ministry, loving one another, praying for one another, supporting one another. All right. Laying hands on them, they sent them away. And so off they go. And they go to Cyprus and first missionary journey and the things there. Okay, And it's interesting too, when they come back, what do they do? They encourage the brethren with a lengthy report. They're able to fellowship in what they all had done together, two by traveling, and the remainder by staying. And uh, many blessings there. Alright, so uh, you get this is all through chapter 13, then, and chapter 14. And uh, you get to the end of chapter 14. You reach the end of the first missionary journey. And uh it says in verse 26, Acts 14, 26. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they spent a long time with the disciples. And so the blessings there, being able to fellowship over completed ministries, over uh, the work of the ministry, and all these things there. All right. Another uh, example of this in Acts chapter 16 and verse 10. And this is after a long chain of closed doors. This is after uh, disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. No, 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 no. And how many no's do you listen to before you finally just give up and say, oh, Okay, God, I'm I'm done. I quit. I'm no. You just keep looking and you keep staying humble and you keep thanking him, saying, okay. This is a closed door, this is a closed door. Thank you, for, thank you for taking off the table all the snares that I was about to step into. So now open the door and show me what it is you want me to do. And so um, we have this. And this is where Timothy gets introduced to them and he starts traveling with them, probably as a 10-year-old boy. And um, they're going through the cities. And it says in verse 6, they pass through the Phrygian and the Galatian region having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Well why? Why couldn't they go into Asia? What's wrong with Asia? They'll they'll be in Asia later, they'll get to Asia on the third missionary journey, why can't they go now? Well it's too soon. That field will be fruitful but not yet. Okay. And so uh, before the Lord sends them in there to make a big mess of everything when the field's not prepared yet, He keeps them out of there it may also be the case that Peter was in there and didn't want them bumping heads and, and stepping in one another's toes and things, okay? So whatever the reason is, it doesn't say why, and we don't have to know why. The Lord just says, no, that's not your door. So you say, thank you, Lord, that door is closed. And after they came to Mysia, well, that sounds kind of fun, nope, can't go there either. And they were trying to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And so closed door after closed door after closed door. So when you just give up and start pouting, take your ball and go home and say that's it. Right? We don't. That's the point. That's the point. Remember when David was told he couldn't build a temple? He said, nope, you can't do that. Your son will build the temple. What did David do? David worshipped. He said, wow, who am I? What is is my house and that, that my son should build the temple? He wasn't pouting. He wasn't blaming God for not letting him do what he wanted to do. Alright, so then uh, passing by Mycenae they came down to Troas. Passing by Mycenae they came down to Troas. And so now they've actually reached the edge of the continent. There's nowhere else to go. They're at the far western extremity of Asia Minor, what we call Turkey today. And and they've got, I mean, they can turn around and go back or they've got the Aegean Sea in front of them. And uh, where are we going to go now? And so a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. We, notice, this is where the we appears. It switches from they to we at this point. So Luke, the author, joins with the traveling companion, uh, party here. Immediately uh we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay? And this is not only a new country, it's a new continent. This is the first record we have of the gospel coming to Europe. Crossing across into uh into Macedonia. And so you've got a geographic relocation. Say, well, I'm willing to go, you know, I can go a little bit, I can, you know, I can go one state away, but I'm not gonna go two states away. Or I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna leave the country, certainly. I mean, I mean, well, okay, maybe Canada, that's practically America anyway. But maybe, but don't expect me to go to, you know, someplace primitive with dirt and bugs and questionable water, you know. Lord, really? You want me to go here? Yes. Ministry callings may entail a geographic relocation. And sometimes It has to, because a prophet has no honor in his home country. Sometimes it has to, because uh, the the subjectivity is just too great, and and God doesn't want to fight through that, so he takes you to a place where the subjectivity isn't even an issue. And so uh, all those people with their hang-ups about you are out of the picture, and and you with all your hang-ups about them are out of the picture, and so uh, it's a win-win. And uh, you get to do that. All right, geographic relocation. How about this one? Human qualifications are largely irrelevant to our ministry callings. Human qualifications are largely irrelevant to our ministry callings. Now that one will be argued. There will be people that will dispute that. And they'll dispute that for different reasons. uh, Because they've seen examples where natural human talents or otherwise human qualifications have been used and because they can point to examples of how it's been used, um, they say, well, what's wrong with that? Can't God use that? Okay? And yet, if God does so, cho- uh, so choose to use, I believe that it's the exception rather than the rule. That actually God prefers to um, completely uh, work outside what we would consider as a qualification. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 31 is my authority for this, my proof text for what I'm saying. All right. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through uh, 31. For consider your calling, brethren. Consider your calling, brethren. And this is going to have an application not only for your salvation calling, being called as a believer, but but beyond that, your ministry calling, the pursuits that Jesus is calling you to, to pursue. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Okay? And this is why I say Largely irrelevant, but not completely irrelevant. There will be exceptions. There will be some here and there. It doesn't say that uh, there's nobody wise. It just says there's not many wise according to the flesh. And occasionally there will be a, a wise guy. Okay? Um, not many mighty. Okay, Not many, but occasionally there, there can be one here or there. Not many noble. It doesn't say none at all but it does say not many. So there may occasionally be one. I think that fellow that grew up with Herod the Tetrarch, he probably had some nobility, probably had some high social standing of some sort in in whatever uh, circles that might have been. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That's how God prefers to work. That's the much more common approach. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. That's the normal procedure. That's what He prefers. That's how He typically operates. And the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that He might nullify the things that are. And so more often than not, God will take a a person completely separated from whatever qualifications He thinks He has. Or even the legitimate qualifications he honestly does have. Paul had a whole slew of qualifications and he said they're all scuba on. he said, uh, I don't care about any of those anymore, I'm serving Christ. Paul was the most qualified apostle ever and he threw it all out and said it's not worth it. Okay? And Peter was a fisherman with a horrendous Greek. Okay? God used them both. Um, so that no man may boast before God. See, and if if it's your qualifications, if it's your education, if it's your training, if it's your ability, alright, and you think that, oh, well, God must obviously use me because he needs a guy like me. He doesn't need a guy like you. He can take stones and lift them up to be better preachers than you'll ever be. He can preach through donkeys. He's done that before, right? Balaam in that story. Alright. See, by His doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All the qualifications you need for your ministry are in Christ. Jesus opens that door of ministry, Jesus walks with you through that ministry and if you're walking with the Lord, that's what you're qualified to do. We're all qualified to walk with the Lord. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, you know, now now come the yeah buts, now come, well can't God do this and can't God do that and what if you're qualified, what if, you know, I mean, okay, so you, somebody that, they have a music degree and they have experience and they, they play the violin maybe, just for instance. You know, they've got some kind of skill and education and training and background and ability. What's wrong if they want to use that as a ministry pursuit and glorify God? There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Okay? That can happen. But don't think that that has to be your mission field, or that, that has to be your ministry field, because God may have all kinds of other things that you're not comfortable with. Okay? And He might be excited to put you in one of those areas if, uh, if you can get beyond your, your comfort zone, see? Kind of a thing. Anyway, I get spoiled too. You know, guys like Jacob, they think, oh, your voice is so beautiful, you must be a music leader. You must be a song leader. Okay? Well, what if he doesn't want to? What if he has no heart for that? What if he has no passion for that? What if he wants to teach a Greek class or teach a Hebrew class? Or what if, you know, see, God can take folks and use them totally in realms that they have no natural talent or inclination or, or comfort level or anything. And very often he does, see. And this is where we get trapped too and we think, oh, you know, you know this is what you do as your career then you would be great for this. Wait a minute your career is your career, but your ministry is your ministry, and why are we conflating them? Say, Paul was a tent maker, what did that equip him to do? Make tents. (laughs) All right. Um, Now sometimes, David was a shepherd, and honestly, the scripture says that was the best training he could have had to be king of Israel. Because he had to tend the Lord's sheep. So anyway, there's there's something to consider with respect to, uh, to different things. And so if if uh, the world finds you foolish or if, uh, if you find yourself unworthy of something, then just laugh right along with the Lord because He who sits in the heavens laughs. And, and recognize that He does choose the foolish things and so the bigger fool He can find, the better, right? And then you can laugh even louder with Him in those ministry pursuits. It's amazing See, as He does these things. Um, and then fifthly, Ministries are assigned based upon faithfulness. Ministries are assigned based upon faithfulness. 1 Timothy 1.12. This is different from gifts. Ministries can be taken away. Gifts cannot. Ministries can close. You can work towards a ministry. You can deserve a ministry. You can be found faithful and be rewarded with a ministry. Gifts are not. Gifts are grace things. Gifts are provided at the moment of your salvation. Can't work for it, can't deserve it, can't earn it. It's a big difference between a gift and a ministry. This is one of the easiest, simplest ways to describe the difference between a gift and a ministry. Because a gift is without repentance, we're told. You can't throw away your gift, but you can sure throw away your ministry. You can discredit your ministry, you can be disqualified for ministry. You can bring uh, shame upon the Lord Jesus Christ and He may take you out of ministry. You know those warnings in Revelation, I will remove your lampstand from out of its place unless you repent. That was Jesus Christ threatening to fire a pastor. Okay? So in 1 Timothy one twelve, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because He considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and the love which are found in Christ Jesus. And so we have uh, the example here. He considered me faithful, putting me into service. And and what did Paul start doing? Right when he got uh, that first call on the Damascus Road, he started serving the body of Christ. He started teaching, he started getting with other believers, he started proclaiming Christ. He started publicly recanting of his former life as a Pharisee. Right there in Damascus, right there where he was. He didn't storm on up to Jerusalem and try to engage in a big ministry there. He stayed faithful where he was in Damascus until the Lord moved him. And then the Lord took him out to the wilderness for three years. and said, okay Paul, how about seminary in the desert for three years? And trained him to now take all of his Old Testament theology and bring it into a New Testament uh, consideration. And Paul stayed faithful. And each step of the way you stay faithful. If you're you're not content with where you are now stay faithful and see if the Lord will uh, reward that faithfulness by opening a, a mission field or a ministry or other things. Okay? We saw that, did we not, in Acts 13. They were faithful, they were serving. And then God said, all right, now set apart. Okay. Uh, the Lord doesn't look around to find, uh, well, let's see, who's, who's the biggest malcontents right now that are not faithful with where they are? Yeah, let, let's, Yeah, that'll work. Let's pick them and let's move them to this other place. No. If you're faithful in little things, He will entrust you to be faithful with bigger things. But if you're faithless in little things, why would He entrust you to be faithless in much bigger things? Right, where where the the failure there will have even more spectacular consequences and and uh, tragedy for the, the the damage that gets done and the people that get hurt. All right, so um, you know it just to me the pattern is there and back to David again and remember his brothers and how scornful they were. You came here to the battle. You came here to watch this and who did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? And they were so mocking of of the small size of Jesse's flock. And uh, well, those few sheep, they may not have been very many of them, but uh, there were still lions and tigers, not tigers, but lions and bears that uh, David had to fight and, and defend those sheep. And he did. And that prepared him. So same thing here, all right? Um, Verse 15 says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am chief. I am foremost of all. And yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, I love this verse, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. So you've got an example. And I think that's why he chooses the fools. I think that's why he chooses the weak things, the foolish things, the things that are not. He chooses those as his tools and his instruments. The biggest buffoons that he can get in a pulpit. So that the, the believers in the, in the, in the congregation get, get encouraged. They get excited. They get thrilled. They go, wow! You see what God's doing with that knucklehead? Okay? Imagine what he could do with me. Right? That's the example if he can do this with this, maybe maybe I can serve the Lord too. Okay? There's supposed to be an encouragement. So, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, that you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. So that's what it's about. Based upon faithfulness, you don't want to uh, suffer shipwreck, as we see there in verse 19. Keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck, in regard to their faith. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. You see someone and, and they've got a ministry future in front of them and you see that they're bearing fruit and they're blessing you and they're edifying you and you think, wow, God's going to use this, this is going to do something. And, uh, and then comes along the shipwreck and where are they now? Okay? They're not serving the Lord now, they're not in ministry now. But I remember when they were. Okay, and So that becomes sad too. Ministry is assigned based upon faithfulness. Alright, that's our first section. Our first development is uh, principles of ministry calling with five points. We'll come back on Sunday and we'll see illustrations of ministry calling. And they're not all New Testament illustrations either. um, Because we'll talk about Moses, we'll talk about Joshua, we'll talk about David. But then we'll get to Jesus and we'll get to the Apostles we'll get to some New Testament examples as well. And in those illustrations we will see the very same principles we've already covered so it'll help to reinforce that as well. And then we're going to have dangers and warnings of ministry calling. Because when you do step up into uh, intensified ministry comes intensified conflict. And uh, if you're going to serve the Lord in, in these ministry pursuits then you better believe. When there's a wide open door there will be many adversaries. And uh, we have to know that for what it is as well. All right. So Father, we thank you for tonight. we thank you for this uh, message. We pray, Father, that you would humble us to receive this truth, that we would understand it, not only academically as gnosis, but Father, that we would, by faith, uh, in humility, to receive this word implanted, and Father, uh, to make this the full knowledge, the epinosis, combined with the love, Father, that edifies. And uh, might we be provoked? Might we be persuaded? Might we be emboldened that uh, with the right motivation Father that there is a ministry field in front of us and uh, it is our open door to go through. So Father work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. I thank you Father in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.